This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sector Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. Format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Longwoods International, one of the premier research firms in the travel and tourism space in the world. Longwoods produces groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and services to DMOs in areas such as visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and their brand new resident sentiment study. Learn more about this new breakthrough product and more at longwoods-intl.com. And now it's on to our show. Our guest today is John Lambeth, the founder and president of Civitas, an organization that specializes in developing unique funding strategies for tourism and travel promotion. He has over 20 years experience working with destination marketing organizations and state travel offices. He has assisted with the formation and renewal of over 125 improvement districts, including over 80 tourism districts. He is the expert in tourism district creation, adopting enabling legislation, building support among tourism businesses and electeds, and guiding the formation process. He has written legislation in 10 states. He has also assisted in the development of the first business improvement district in Central America in El Salvador. He's also developed bid and TID legislation in Brazil, and currently he's working on a TID in Japan. John was the 2014 recipient of the Cal Travel Promotion and Advancement of Tourism Award, and it's a real honor. John Lambeth. Welcome to DMOU. Well, good morning, Bill. It's a pleasure to be with you. And tell you what, great presentation uh, the other day at Destination International's uh, Advocacy Summit held right here in Madison, Wisconsin. We, we should have done this live right, while we were together. But as you know, in those conferences, we're all so busy talking to so many people that it, it's almost impossible to get a side conversation, and especially with the opportunity to go deep with you on this project. Yes, I'll tell you what a great event that was. The Advocacy Summit the DI puts on is one of my favorite programs of the year. I think advocacy is one of the most important issues DMOs can be talking about. It lines up exactly where you are because, you know, there was a time when the the funding of destination marketing organizations was really simple. You know, when I started in, in the DMO wars in Illinois back in the 80s, when the first legislation for room tax came out in the 80s, the legislation was, was honestly, it was two sentences. It was, you can collect a room tax and it has to go to the DMO, period, paragraph, done. It was that simple. You know, when hotel occupancy taxes or room taxes were imposed in communities across America, you know, the hotel community was, in general, they were in favor. In many cases, they were advocating for the room tax because the revenue was going to be used to market the destination and thus fill their rooms. Of course, over time, original intent was replaced by political expediency, and those revenues are, in many cases, no longer invested in DMOs, and that's where you come in. You really were the progenitor of a new way to fund the work of destination marketing organizations. So the advocacy thing is, like I said, just it's, there it is. So question number one, take us back to the very first tourism business improvement district and share with us the genesis and the evolution of the concept. Thank you, Bill. You set the stage well. Uh, you said it exactly right. One of my DMO friends calls bed tax 
the biggest lie there is out there, right? Because yeah, so right. many communities have gone down the path that you just talked about, which is working with their hotels, promising them that if the bed tax was raised, that that money would be spent on destination marketing efforts within a few years a new city council, a new uh, staff members, and all of a sudden that money gets redirected in another direction. And so it really was uh, in the late 80s uh, that some folks in California said, there's got to be a better way. And there was an existing model out there for us to turn to. There was a funding mechanism called special benefit assessment mechanism. And assessments have been around for a long time. Their legal roots actually date back to early English common law, but they've been around the United States since our founding. All 50 states have special assessment mechanisms, and historically they were used to fund capital improvements. So typically a government would draw a circle around the line of property owners that benefited from a sewer line or a water line or a roadway and said those particular owners will raise the money for this and they will receive the benefits specifically from this improvement. Well, it was about 60 years ago that some folks got the idea and said, if we can use that kind of a mechanism for our capital improvements, why can't we use it for our downtown improvement activities, our clean and safe activities to fix up our urban areas? And that led to the, the, the creation of the very first business improvement district. We now have about 2,000 of those across North America, and they're providing stable, dedicated funding for those downtown organizations. Well, some folks in Monterey, California thought, hey, if we can use that mechanism to fund those kinds of improvements, why can't we use it for tourism improvement purposes? And that led to a change in California state law in 1989, and the very first district was in West Hollywood. And essentially, they took that same business improvement district model, which was identifying the beneficiaries, but changed it a bit. So instead of all the properties in a downtown or commercial area, they said, let's just focus on the hotels and make it citywide or countywide. Make it make the boundaries match the destination. And instead of levying the assessment based on property values, the way traditional bids have done, let's levy it based on either a percentage of room rate, like 1%, 2%, looks very much like a bed tax, or let's levy it based on a fixed rate per occupied room per night. And those were the two methods that were used. West Hollywood was the first. Within about a year, Costa Mesa came along and did another one very close by there in Southern California. And really what started to open things up was in the year 2000 when Sacramento, uh, as a large destination, did a district and that really opened up the state. So those first three uh, took about 10 years from the time it was originally uh, approved to create three of them. And after that, it took off like crazy. And now we have 109 of them uh, across the state. Now, really interesting history here, Bill. One other thing, at the same time this was happening, and just shortly after that revolution for the local DMOs was being authorized at the state legislature, the same kind of effort was going on on a statewide basis. And folks said, we need some kind of stable source of funding for our state travel office. And their development of a mechanism actually came out of a little bit different history. 
we have in this country things called agricultural marketing orders, right? You've heard mm -hmm. of these before. They're agriculture charging a small charge on their commodities. That money then goes into a marketing fund and is used to promote that commodity. And we see that right. in nuts and fruits and milk and all kinds yeah. of commodities out there. Yeah, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Yeah. You bet. That started in the 1930s. Well, on the statewide basis, they said we can take, and that is also an assessment mechanism, we can take that and apply it statewide. And so in 1995, there was legislation passed for a statewide district that allowed to assess not only hotels, but in this case, retail and restaurants and car rental, the full gamut of tourism related businesses across the state to help raise money for our state travel office. Very cool. And, you know, interestingly, um, the Sacramento, you said it was, that was 2000? Yes. So that hotel association brought me back in in 2010 to analyze whether it had been effective before they went to renew. And ultimately they did because, you know, we showed that it, it had been wildly successful. The interesting thing I saw, you say 109 in California. Somebody told me that 108 have renewed at least once. Is that true? I think the number's less than that, but they have almost all uh, renewed. There have okay. been a couple that have not, and they were in very small destinations. They were pioneered by very small chambers that ended up not really getting the hotel community that involved in the mm -hmm. actual provision of the services. And so a lot of the services weren't as spot on as they should have been in terms of driving more business into the destination. Right. And, and there was uh, two cases. In one case, they decided simply not to re-up the district. In the other case, the hotel said, uh, we don't want to do this district anymore. And from my perspective, that meant the mechanism was working because the mechanism is accountable. It's accountable to the DMO, it's accountable to the lodging industry, and it's accountable to the local government. And in that case, because it wasn't working, it didn't, didn't go forward. But those are the only two we know of out of 180 across the US. And the one I was referencing that I had heard about was a, it was, it was a chamber of commerce, a very small chamber that used the money to give themselves raises, but there was no movement of the needle for the hotels that they expected. And we you know when I'm advocating for business improvement districts to the bureau boards that I work with. I mean, as you can imagine, the first words out of my mouth, you know, the, the hoteliers in the, in the room are, you know, backing off and, and trying to find something to throw at me. But I tell them very quickly, you control whether this thing continues. I mean, give it some years to, to start. But if you don't see the, the needle move, then it's not right for you and you should move on and find some other, other model. And that's, I think, the beauty of what you've helped design is that there is that control over, I mean, this isn't a tax that's like luggage that you carry forever. This is something that it is fluid. Somebody could say, you know, we just don't see it. It's just not had the effect we hoped for. Nice try, good experiment, let's move on. You're absolutely right. And they're designed to be accountable. That is part of the beauty of the mechanism because generally speaking, they are self-correcting, right? If they try some programs, if they fund some programs and they don't get the results they're looking for, because you have the stakeholders sitting around the table making those decisions, when they don't get those results, they should make shifts just like you or I would do in our own business. Mm -hmm. They put more money into those things that are working and take money or defund those things that are not working. So if they, if they're trying things that aren't giving them the return, those things don't tend to last very long. And so over time, what we see is the vast majority of them producing very significant results. So 
for communities that want to move down this path, that you know have heard about the successes in California and a number of other states uh, that have got the legislation in place or are looking at the legislation that would allow for this to happen, walk us through the steps that are required to get started. I mean, if, if I, after hearing this podcast, say, this is perfect for my destination, what do I do first, second, third? Well, the very first thing is to identify the legal authority that will allow you to set up the district. And if you're in one of the 16 states that currently has TIDs, then you can look to those TIDs to see how they did it. And there really is one of three sources of authority, Bill. One is uh, something called home rule authority. And what that is, is essentially the power of cities and counties to legislate on matters of local concern where they have not been preempted by the state legislature. And all that means is a city can pass a local law to say we can create our own districts. And generally speaking, in those states that have home rule authority, the part of the bundle of powers you get with home rule authority is the power to create assessment districts. Oftentimes taxes are off the table. You can't raise a tax, but you can create an assessment district. And that's exactly what we want to do for a TID. And so we have in several destinations used their home rule authority of their city to create a TID. The second is the existing business improvement district statute for the state. In many states, that business improvement district statute is broad enough that would allow us to create a TID. In fact, that's what we did in Wichita, Kansas, about five years ago. We looked at their bid law. We said, Kansas's bid law is broad enough to be able to create a district like this. It laid out all the procedures. It allowed for the assessment mechanism to be implemented the way we wanted. So we just used that law and went through a local process to create the district. And the third, and by far the most difficult, of course, is running special legislation, is going to the state legislature and asking for them to specifically grant the authority to your city or to the whole state to be able to create these kinds of districts. And we've had uh, several states do that in the past. And one of the things I'm just amazed about, and that is really cool, is that in 2020, we have more states than ever proposing new legislation to authorize TIDs. We have nine states, Bill, that are actively working on legislation and intend to propose it next year at a minimum. There are several others that are thinking about it. We may have more that are looking at running the state law to allow for TID uh, adoption. One of the resources for folks, if they wanna know about the legal authority in their state, is we did a study with US Travel a few years back, looking at all 50 states, and we did a review of their bid laws and of their home rule authority, and we categorized each authority in each state as red, yellow, or green, meaning Red, we didn't think that authority could be used. Yellow, meaning it looked like it could be, but there were some issues to work out. And green, meaning there was a very direct, specific grant of authority, or it had already been used to form a TID. And that study is complementary to U.S. travel members. So you could always look at that study for your home state to get an idea. Do we have legal authority in our state to be able to do it? So, John, before you get to number two, I want to double back just for a moment and Explain to us the difference between something that is an assessment versus a tax, because that really is the defining moment, if you will, about why this works. It is. Um, and, you know, the, the rules around levies vary from state to state. But generally speaking, in most states, 
there are three different kinds of levies. There are taxes, there are assessments, and there are fees. And each one of them typically has its own set of rules associated with how they can be adopted, how they're governed, and restrictions around use of the money. Well, one of the hallmarks of assessments is that it's based on benefit to the payers. That is, most taxes, you don't need to show a benefit back to the payers. The government can tax you and spend money as it likes. And sometimes on those taxes, the government will pass a rule. And this is common in many states, right? The legislature passes a rule that says this money must be used or a portion of this money must be used for tourism. Mm-hmm. But that rule that they pass can be undone just as quickly as it was done. It is not built into the taxing mechanism. It is by virtue of that body saying this is how the money is going to be spent. And that works right up until that body changes its mind. And with a tax, it's got complete authority to do that. With an assessment, the levy must be based on benefit. That is the people that are paying have to receive benefit from the services that are being provided. So if you're levying an assessment on hotels, which TIDs do, those hotels have to directly benefit back from the program that's put together. And that is the magic sauce. That is why the governments cannot move the money from one place to another. They can't divert it. And what we found is when they can't divert it, they leave you alone. And, you know, as a, as a lawyer, Bill, I think a lot about the legal protections around these mechanisms. And we spend a lot of time making sure our clients are well protected from a legal standpoint. But something really hit me a couple of years ago. I was at a dinner with our governor, Governor Jerry Brown at that time. And he was, if you recall, California's youngest serving governor 40 years ago. And he was our oldest governor up until he left office here in right. January. He, of course, uh, was a liberal from California but he was a fiscal conservative and he was somebody that was constantly cutting budgets. He was also somebody that didn't believe in tourism promotion. He said many times, people have been coming to California since the gold rush and they're going to keep coming to California. Mm -hmm. We don't need to market the state. You've heard this before from other politicians, right? Oh yeah. But at this dinner, when talking about our statewide TID that funds visit California, he said, I'm glad you figured out how to raise your own money. Because if you had to deal with me, your life would be a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And so essentially, that was something, a light bulb went on in my head, which was not only is this a legal protection, but the fact that this is industry driven, that it's industry designed, that it's voted on by the industry, means that those in government office look at this as industry money. Mm -hmm. The governor saw that money as industry money. Think for a minute, if we had raised a state sales tax or if we had raised the state lodging tax, what would Governor Brown have said about those levies? Governor Brown would have said, that's our money. And believe me, when the state was going through a fiscal crisis 10 years ago, he would have been more than happy to take that money and divert it for other purposes. But when that was all happening, programs got slashed around the state. The one that stayed intact was Visit California. Why? Because they couldn't divert the money. They still had the power to legislate, right? They could get rid of the program if they wanted, But they had no interest in doing that. Their interest was in taking the money. And if they can't take the money, then they leave you alone. And they move on. Absolutely. All right. That's right. That's right. Sorry for the interruption. So number one, we have to figure out, is there enabling legislation in place or is there a way to amend 
uh, existing legislation for traditional business improvement districts. So what's next? So once you identify the legal authority, then we, we think about these, these processes as sort of a two-track process, right? There's a track uh, with the lodging community or the payers, and there's also a track with the local government. And so we do a lot of work and spend a lot of time reaching out. If, and just to step back for a moment, some of these districts have included more than just lodging. It's unusual, but Visit California includes more than lodging. The district in Mammoth Lakes in California includes more than lodging. We have several ski destinations that have included lift tickets and other things in addition to lodging. Most of them are lodging only, but we have a discussion with the payers and we talk to them about this mechanism. We educate them, we give them information, and most importantly, we ask them, what would make the difference for you? What do you think would move the needle for our destination? What kinds of programs are really going to make the difference if we're able to raise a significantly a, a significant amount of money to be able to fund the programs? So we have that dialogue with lodging. We're having a similar dialogue with the local government and talking to them about the process and the steps, also getting feedback from their elected officials about things that they see are important. And by gathering up all that information, really what we're doing is consensus building and we ultimately put that all into a plan. And the plan lays out all the details of the district. It lays out the boundaries, it lays out the assessments, it lays out the draft budgets, it lays out the governance, it lays out the term of the district, how long is it gonna last before it has to be renewed. All of that gets packaged into a plan. We take that draft plan back out to all those folks and say, this is what we heard, did we get this right? We get their feedback, we amend the plan, and finally, then and only then, once we get this fully developed package, do we go through a hotel approval process. And that process most often is a petition drive on the part of hotels, usually a 50% petition drive. Sometimes it's a noticing and a protest procedure. Sometimes it's a balloting, balloting procedure, but it's some sort of hotel approval process. If we make it through that step, then we go through the local government approval process. Some of these districts include multiple jurisdictions, multiple cities or multiple counties. They're very, they're quite large. And so we have to get the approval of those jurisdictions to say, okay, you can form this district. And once we do that, the district is up and running and goes for the term that's specified in the plan. What's the minimum term that you would like to see or that you would advocate for? Five years. Uh, five years has really turned out. Some places have gone shorter. Some places have done three years. But really, you need to start working on renewal a year before you need to get it done at a minimum, right? Because these projects take anywhere between eight months and a year to do. Right. A lot of folks are starting even earlier than that. And there's good reason to start earlier so that if anything happens, you've got some buffer period before you're reliant on that renewed money. But if you think about a three-year term and you're going to start either in year one or in year two to go back out and start talking about renewal, that's a pretty quick uh, turnaround. So a lot of places, five years is a pretty good planning horizon. It's enough time yeah. to see some results, but it's not too long to not know what, it's gonna, what things are going to be like five years from now. Uh, so five years has been a very comfortable number for hotels and local governments to settle on uh, the first go around. Uh, and then what we see oftentimes on renewal is they're willing to go a bit longer. So we see some districts go 10 years. And in California, we've had some districts go a long time on renewal, 15 years, 30 years. Wow. And when we re-up San Diego, they actually set theirs up for 39 and a half years. That's the longest <laughs> one uh, that's been put in place. Okay, you got to tell me. So who came up with 39 and a half? <laughs> <laughs> 
It had to do with switching over between a fiscal year okay. and a calendar year. <laughs> and so they wanted to marry those up. So it was a half year. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I should have just said it. 40 years. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> That's fine. I always laugh when I get yeah. in the exit row in an airplane and it says, this door is approximately 41 pounds. Well, just say 40. I don't know. <laughs> 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 okay, so question number three. So T-bids have been almost exclusively built on the backs of hoteliers. And as I said earlier, you know, when I suggest it to a DMO board, you know, there's the instant, if they've never heard of one, there's the instant pushback saying it's not fair. We're, we've already been hit by the room tax. And now you're hitting us. Why don't we hit restaurants? Why don't we hit retail? Why don't we hit attractions? And they're absolutely right. It's not fair to put it on the backs of hotels. But they're also the ones who are probably the most sophisticated marketers of our hospitality partners. They get it. They absolutely understand. And that's why they keep re-upping these things, because they know that they work. So here's my question. When I heard you speak this summer at Destinations International, you intimated that this concept really is beginning to expand to partner industries. So tell us what you're seeing out there. And you're right, Bill. It's very common for us to meet with a group of hoteliers, which we do on a frequent basis, and have them say to me, John, we're always the one that's hit. We get hit on our taxes. We get hit on sales taxes and bed taxes. We endure some of the most stringent regulations. Yep. And now you're hitting us again. We know that when we bring more visitors into this destination, there are a lot of other folks that benefit, right? The restaurants benefit, retail benefits, the attractions benefit. Why don't we include all of them? And so it is very common in these processes to look and to consider including those other industries. But here's the challenge. If you think about the lodging industry, right. first, you've got a lot of diversity within that industry, right? You've got economy product, you've got luxury product, you've got everything in between. They have different customers. They have different thoughts about how to get those customers and what those marketing efforts should look like. And so you've got to, if it's just hotel industry, you've got to span the differences in your uh, constituency between the hotels. If you expand into other industries, think about restaurants, for example, now you're talking about even much more significant diversity. They have very different ideas about marketing. In fact, if they have marketing funds, generally speaking, the restaurants want to market to one mile, three miles, five miles, right? They're not interested in spending money on trying to get people 75 miles or more. And so most places, when they go through this analysis and they sit down and think about it, at the end of the day, the hotels nine times out of 10 say, we want this to be focused on the overnight visitor. Mm -hmm. We want it to be right, right. very targeted in that. And we then want just hotels in this. We want a board that's made up of hoteliers that's focused on that goal. And we don't want to dilute that purpose. So that's why most of these, even though they've considered it, have said, no, we don't want to include those other industries in our TID. We want it just to be focused on that. We've done a few districts that have said, we're going to do two-phase district. And our first phase is hotels. And our second phase is going to come back and we're going to pick up restaurant and retail and attractions. And in every case that that's been contemplated, phase two has never happened. It is a difficult challenge. The other political challenge associated with that is if they're passing through the assessment, if it's a restaurant passing through the assessment, think of now you're not just having out-of-town visitors pay this charge. Now the local, when the local goes up to their restaurant, they're paying it. 
And so they would believe, hey, it's fine to charge the visitor for your tourism promotion efforts, but don't charge me when I go up to my local restaurant for your tourism promotion efforts. So the politics of getting that done uh, becomes much more difficult. Now, what we have seen, so there are some districts that have bridged those gaps and there are some districts that have had great success uh, going beyond that. I mentioned Mammoth Lakes is one that has done that and been very successful. John Erty mm-hmm. has had a great deal of success there and they include restaurants and retail and their attractions and Visit California, the same, is a very broad, diverse uh, assessment. The other phenomenon we're starting to see, Bill, that's really interesting are the equivalents of TIDs, but in those other industries. So the one in particular has been restaurant improvement districts, where a group of restaurants get together, they levy an assessment on themselves, and they use it for promotion purposes. And oftentimes they're working with the Bureau. Sometimes the Bureau's managing it. Sometimes they're partnering with the Bureau, but they essentially are a standalone district with their own board of directors and really bringing an additional pot of money to the table to promote restaurants. And part of that promotion is often in conjunction uh, with the Bureau. Mm -hmm. There are now four wine districts uh, that are proposed that are moving their way through the process, which is is essentially tasting room, levying a charge on the tasting rooms and using that money for tourism promotion. And that actually is pretty closely linked with tourism promotion efforts of the bureaus typically. So those we think in the future will be working very uh, very closely with the bureaus. But we've had all kinds of ideas. We've had folks from breweries uh, talk to us about banding together, banding together all their breweries, bringing them together, uh, doing the same kind of thing. Craft brew in so many destinations is a major attraction and a major amenity. And those folks have said, hey, if we could band together, raise some more money, Uh, to promote our industry and to promote our businesses, that would be a terrific thing for us and for our communities. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the future. It'd be perfect for tasting trails. And this could be multi-state in some cases. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have not yet done a district that crossed state boundaries, but I think it's coming. Uh, We've done districts in South Lake Tahoe, uh, and are working on one in North Lake Tahoe, which then partner with their uh, affiliates on the other side of the state line. Both of those are in California, but we haven't had a district cross state boundaries yet, but I think that day is coming. Like I mentioned, we've seen them cross lots of city lines and county lines and other jurisdictional lines, because really at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is put together folks that have a common interest, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Who are the folks that are going to benefit? If we're really successful at bringing more visitors into our destination, who's going to benefit from that? And those kind of choices don't stop at jurisdictional lines. They don't stop at the city boundary or the county boundary or even the state boundary in some cases. And so really we're talking about trying to put a district together of folks that are similarly situated and will benefit from the programs that are funded by the money. Yeah. Cool stuff and exciting that it's beginning to to broaden and people are seeing the, the genius of uh, getting these assessment programs for more than just heads in beds, if you will. So time for the bonus round. This is where we go off topic and have a little fun, giving listeners a glimpse into another side of you. Or You told me at the Advocacy Summit here in Madison that we should talk about your heritage. So do tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, my last name Lambeth is, is English, and my father had a lot of English heritage, but I've got quite a bit of Scottish blood pumping through my veins and really connected 
uh, with a lot of Scottish family members and friends when I was a kid. So when I was 10 years old, I started playing bagpipes. Uh, I had a, a teacher uh, here in town who initially taught me some lessons. I started competing and I uh, actually competed quite a bit up and down the West Coast from Canada down to San Diego uh, in Scottish games playing my pipes. Uh, and it was terrific. And I eventually joined up with a band out of San Francisco, a terrific band, and uh, really have enjoyed playing the bagpipes for many years. I still play, uh, not very often. I have yet to play, I think, at a at a Destinations International or U.S. Travel Gathering, but boy, I, I would love to do that. It's something that I uh, enjoy a great deal, and it is part of my heritage. We have so got to get you into the house band at Destinations International for the annual conference. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to fit. What would the song be that we want to do? I don't know. I'm trying to think of a rock and roll song with bagpipes. Oh, gosh. You know, the problem, pipes don't have a lot of range. So uh, we have basically yeah. nine notes. So we don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of range, but, but I'm sure we can figure something out. Oh, I am definitely going to be hawking you to the management of the house band. We've got to have you on stage. <laughs> well, I would love that, Bill. I would love that. Hey, John, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule for this podcast. And honestly, thank you for all you do for this industry. I often think that, you know, like sports stars that are in the prime of their career that are already being touted as future Hall of Famers, I have no doubt that one day you're going to be in the Destinations International Hall of Fame. So thank you so much. Isn't that nice? Thank you, Bill. Thank you for all you're doing for the industry as well. And thank you for having me as a guest today. Oh, you bet. Thanks. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers that this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Longwoods International, the producers of groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and services to DMOs in areas such as visitor research and advertising effectiveness, and of course, the brand new resident sentiment study. Learn more about them at longwoods-intl.com. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet. That is DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>